Um, I'm going to read together from Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 49. This belief for joy. Okay. Let's read together in count of three. One, two, three. As they were talking about this thing, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hand and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And when he has said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were mouthfuling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of this thing, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for these words. And I just pray, Lord, for the next 15 minutes, help us to understand your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you change this information, come revelation, so that when we leave this place, Lord, we're no longer the same as we entered this place because we have encountered the very word of God that radically changed our mindset and changed our life and changed our heart. And I pray, Lord, that when we leave this place, we leave this place hopeful, knowing that 2,000 years ago, you died for our sin. And not only that, but you are resurrected as a proof that you have finished what you come to do. And we are so grateful to that. And I pray that we be able to celebrate that. So speak to us, Holy Spirit, and we surrender this moment into your mighty hand. In your mighty Christ, we pray. Amen. Before you sit, why don't you give this warmer smile to your neighbor and say, Happy Passover. All right, you might be seated. Thank you, Joy. Okay, let me start with a very important question. Okay, you, you expect this question, okay? Especially on Passover or what we know, what known as Easter. This is my question for today. Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Now, don't answer me too quickly. I want you to think carefully. Because if you do believe in the resurrection of the dead, it changes everything about the way you live today. I mean, he has to. And if you think today, if you are displaced, you're watching online or you're displaced, and you think that the idea of resurrection from the dead is extremely ridiculous, let me ask you, have you considered the fact? I mean, have you looked at the evidence that we have? I mean, have you looked at the life and works of Jesus? Because if you do, if you have looked at the evidence and you concluded that the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus was nothing but a myth, I can accept that. But what I cannot accept, what, I, what really blow my mind is the kind of people who say, you know what, I think Jesus was a historical figure, but resurrection from the dead does not make any sense. Okay? Because think about it. If Jesus, if he said who, who he said he is, then resurrection makes sense. 
Okay, so, so some people come up with this wonderful theory that goes something like this, okay? And this is very ridiculous. So the story goes like this. So one day after Jesus' death, Peter come up to this, uh, with this grand idea. So Peter said to the disciple, guys, I have an idea. Why don't we start a brand new movement, okay? Why don't we tell people that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and then he chose us to be the leaders of this, this new movement? And let's make a story that Jesus actually king of another kingdom that is not of this world, okay? And, and we, as a Christian, we should look forward to that coming kingdom. And in the meantime, the way that we should live our life today is this. We should sell all our possessions and give our money away. And if people try to kill us, let, just let them kill us, okay? Because why? If we're lucky, people will actually notice how much we sacrifice and they want to be one of us. That way people will see this is a real thing. What do you think, guys? And all the disciples say, Pete, that is a great idea. Come in. Let me be the first to die. I mean, do you guys realize how ridiculous this sounds? But if you believe in a historical figure by the name of Jesus, but you do not believe in resurrection, that is exactly what you believe. And it is a historical fact that Christians, Christians face persecution, torture, and death with unshakable boldness. I mean, you can't deny it. I don't know if you saw this or not. I hope you didn't. But a couple of years ago, there was a video, a horrific video of ISIS slaughtering 21 Egyptian Christian. Okay? If you haven't watched it, I do not recommend you to watch it. Okay? It is very horrific, very graphic. Okay? What happened is this. Let me just tell you what happened. So they made these 21 Christian kneel and gave them a chance to recount their fate to save their life. However, these 21 people refused to recant, and ISIS beheaded them for their faith. So the question is, why? Why are these people do not recant? What made them remain firm and strong when their life is at stake? Let me tell you why. Because they believe in the resurrection of the dead. C.S. Lewis put it this way. One of the reasons why we love story about a knight who slay a dragon to save a princess because these stories are modeled after one great true story, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, you might think that the resurrection of Christ is a hoax, but I'm going to argue with you that deep inside, you want it to be true. You do, okay? And I'm going to argue with you that you want resurrection of Christ to be true, even if you find it hard to believe. But before we go there, let me give you the context of the passage first. So at this time, the news of Jesus' resurrection is spreading like wildfire. So on the morning of the resurrection day, a couple of women saw an empty tomb, and they heard the angel tells them that Jesus is alive. So they went and told the other disciples, Jesus is alive. And you know how they respond? They do not believe the women. So then two of the disciples make way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Okay? And along the way, they met the resurrected Jesus. Pastor Sam preached about that this morning. And then they went back to Jerusalem and they tell the other disciples, we met the resurrected Jesus. And you know how they respond? They still do not believe. I mean, I find that encouraging. If the disciples found it hard to believe in the resurrection, okay, it gives us room and space today to doubt the resurrection. But I'm going to argue with you, it is true. So they were talking about it, and in the middle of the conversation, suddenly Jesus showed up out of nowhere. Boom. Okay, and that is our passage. Let's look at what happened. I only have two points, but four application. 
So six points. Okay? First one, resurrection. Verse 36 to verse 42. As they were talking about this thing, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bone, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy. I love that word. Disbelieved for joy. And were marveling. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Now, remember what happened in the story. The disciples, they found it hard to believe that Jesus is resurrected. And in this is the same disciple who a couple of days ago neglected Jesus at his greatest time of need. So when Jesus needed them the most, they hid because they are afraid for their life. You remember the story? I mean, if I was Jesus, if you were Jesus, what would you think when you meet your disciples? Okay? The kind of thing that comes to my head goes like this, right? You know what? Guys, how could you do that to me? How did you betray me on my greatest time of need? When I needed you the most, where were you? But when Jesus showed up on the scene, you know what Jesus did? Jesus does not come with grumble. Jesus does not come with complaint. But you know what he say? Peace to you. So in the middle of this confusion, Jesus come and say, peace to you. And I love what happened next. Luke said that the disciples were startled and frightened. Now, okay, some of you are like, come on, guys, it's Jesus. But come on, give them a break. Because if you were the disciples, you will be startled and frightened. Let me give you an example. Imagine I was dead. You witnessed my death, and you were there at my funeral. And a few days later, I show up in your living room while you eat KFC in my remembrance. And I suddenly say, peace, can I have some chicken, please? What will you say? Okay, I'm sure this is what happened. Beep, 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 right? You'll be throttled. You'll be frightened. So that's exactly what happened with disciples. So they have heard that Jesus resurrected. But it's a whole other thing that to hear that Jesus resurrected and actually see the resurrected Jesus with your own eye. See, why this is important? It's important for us to note this because even the disciples themselves do not anticipate the resurrection of Christ. Let me take it one step further. At the time of resurrection, the Jews, they have no concept of resurrection. Okay, anti right. one of the most uh, prominent New Testament scholars says this. It cannot be stressed too strongly that first century Jews were not expecting people to rise from the dead as isolated individuals. Resurrection for them was something that might happen to all on that great future occasion when God brought history to an end and a whole new world was renewed. In the Jewish worldview, an individual could not be resurrected in the middle of history and history just continued going. It was not something that was possible in their worldview. Now, you know what Wright is saying? Wright is saying even the Jews, they do not have concept of individual resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ surprised them as much as it surprised us. Because our culture today, we, we like to say this, you know what? 
back in the days, people are very you know, into mysticism, right? They, they believe in supernatural things, but today we believe in science. And our scientific worldview does not allow space and room for resurrection. But Wright also argued here, even the Jews themselves, they don't have space and room in their worldview on individual resurrection. That's why when Jesus resurrected, it surprised them. It is as unexpected for them as it is for us. So that means this, the only reason Luke recorded the event is because it happened, okay? And pay attention to what Jesus does next, okay? So when the disciples are startled and frightened, Jesus gently deals with their doubts. Jesus says this, guys, look at my hand. Look at my feet. Touch me. Feel me. This is me. This is my body. I'm not a Casper. I have flesh and bone just like you. So what Jesus is doing here, Jesus giving this disciple solid evidence of his resurrection. Guys, you're not seeing a vision. You're not dreaming. This is not hallucination. You're seeing me in flesh right before your eyes. And I love, I love, I love what Luke said next. When the disciple finally realized it was Jesus, you know what happened? They disbelieved for joy. Okay, the word disbelief for joy does not mean that they do not believe it. But what happened is this. What happened with their eyes, what, happened, what they see with their eyes is too wonderful to, to be true. It is too good to be true to the point that they can't believe it. And it, it makes them rejoice. Disbelief for joy. The resurrection of Christ is almost too good to be true. And it filled them with a sense of wonder and amaz- amazement. Now they're seeing and touching the living and immortal body of someone who was dead and buried before their eyes. Jesus is alive in front of them in a body that will never die again. And you know what's so cool about this body? Two things that is so cool about the new resurrection body. First, it is not limited by space. Do you see what happened? Jesus has actual body, physical body. And yet Jesus can do instant teleportation. Like Son Goku, he doesn't have to do that. He just appeared out of nowhere in the middle of a locker room. So Jesus has a body, and yet that body is not limited by space. And the second thing, Jesus can eat fish. You know what does it tell us about the new resurrection body? You and I will be able to eat in the future. Okay, that is a good thing if you love food like me. So, like, you know, so that means the new resurrection body, we're not going to be floating in heaven, you know, spirit, a Casper floating. No, no, no. We're going to have actual body that is not limited by space and we can eat. How wonderful is that? But my point is this. The resurrection of Jesus is not a myth. It's an actual event. Because some well-meaning Christian try to over-spiritualize it and say this, well, it does not really matter if Jesus actually resurrected from dead or not. What matters is he's resurrected in my heart. That's cute, but that's wrong. Because if Jesus is never physically resurrected, then everything we believe about Christianity is a lie. There's no reason for you to be here today if Jesus was not resurrected, because that means Jesus lied. But today I will argue with you that Jesus is who he said he is. Now, think about it, okay? Today, it's almost impossible for you to disagree that Jesus was an actual historical person. It's not possible to do that. 
secular historians have proved that there's a man, Jewish man, by the name of Jesus, who walked on earth 2,000 years ago. Secular historians. So what they tried to argue, though, they said, okay, Jesus was actually a man. But what they tried to argue is this. Resurrection never happened. It was myth. But it does not make any sense. So what they say is Jesus is actually a very good person, a very good teacher, but he's not God. But C.S. Lewis says this, you know what? C.S. Lewis argued that a man who was merely a man and said the sort of thing that Jesus said will not be a good moral teacher. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am one with the Father. When you listen to me, you listen to the Father. So the kind of thing that Jesus said does not give us space to think that he's actually just a good teacher, but he's not God. C.S. Lewis gave us two options. Either he's a lunatic or he is who he said he is, the resurrected Son of God. Which means you only have two choices. If you want to think critically and use logical mindset, we have only two choices. We dismiss him altogether or we bow down at his feet and worship him. There's no in-between. You either just rejected him altogether, he, he does not exist, or you worship him. But if you doubt the resurrection of Christ, here's what I want you to do. Think. Have you considered all the historical facts? Have you considered all the evidence? Because the resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that makes solid explanation of the transformation that happened to the disciples. Think about it. Just a couple of weeks earlier, they ran and hid because they were afraid for their life. But then a few weeks later, they make this wonderful proclamation that Jesus is Lord at the cost of their own life. Now, what happened in a few weeks? What radically transformed them? And the only possible explanation is that they see with their own eyes, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Because otherwise, think about it. No one, I'm telling no one, no matter how much you love someone, no one will die for some for a lie. No one, except in penthouse, Korean drama. That's the only exception. But in reality, no one will die for a lie. No one. Okay, let me give you an example. Let's say, I, give, I used this example last year, but it's still good. Okay, this is my second time using this illustration, so it's valid. Third time, get bored. Need to find a new one. If... I turned out to be a fraud, and I was actually a terrorist disguised as a pastor. And I hid in your house, and the FBI pointed a gun at you to tell me where I was. Here's my question. Any one of you will die for me. Raise your hand. Not a single one. Prove my case. Not a single one of us will die for a lie. And the same with the disciples. None of them will actually die for life. So the only possible explanation what turned this, all these cowards into such a martyr's brave die for Jesus is because the resurrection actually happened. They saw Jesus who they abandoned to die on the cross alive and well, and it changed their life forever. That's my first point. But then when Jesus began to explain uh, what resurrection means, it's beautiful, the message. Verse 44 to verse 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of this thing, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So after Jesus ate the fish, then he began to explain to them what is the actual message of resurrection. And it is very revolutionary. In this verse, Jesus makes the grand claim. If we want to understand the Bible, if we want to understand the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, then we need to understand that we must read it in the light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So Jesus is making a big claim that to understand the Bible clearly, we need to understand that every page in the Bible actually points us to the story of Jesus. So if Jesus has a website and you click the All About Me section, you will not only find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or no. In the All About Me section, you will find Genesis to Revelation. Everything pointing to Jesus. See, Jesus said that the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms write about him. And that's not a random categories. The Jewish scriptures are divided into these three categories. The law of, prophet, the law of Moses, the prophet, and Psalms. With another word, what Jesus is teaching the disciples is this. To rightly understand the Old Testament is to know Jesus through the Old Testament. And to know Jesus is to know the Old Testament. And when Jesus wants to prove his resurrection, he does not say, hey guys, I'm here. I'm the proof that I'm resurrected. No, no, he doesn't. You know what Jesus does? He showed them where it is written in the scriptures. So Jesus does not want the disciples only have the physical evidence that Jesus is resurrected. Jesus wants the disciples to know that it's been written. So Jesus gave them scriptures. Jesus helped them to see scriptures. And the way, the way Sally Lloyd-Jones put it is the best. If you do not know who Sally Lloyd-Jones, she wrote one of the best children's Bible. I highly recommend if you have children, read it. Even if you don't have children, buy it. Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is what Sally Lloyd-Jones said. You know it. If you read it, you know it. Every story whisper his name. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus showed that from the beginning to the end, the Bible is one story about a God who loves his people and sent his one only son to die for his people so that his people may be reunited with God forever. So when Jesus preached the Bible, he preached Jesus-centered sermon. Okay. He's the only one who can do that. None of us can. We can't say, it. I'm going to preach Yossi-centered sermon. Okay, that does not work. Jesus is the only one who can because all of history point us to this person. Why is it important then for us to get this? Here's why. Because there are only two ways for us to understand the Bible. Either the Bible is all about us or... It's all about Jesus. It's only two ways. So when you read the Bible, whether you see the glory of Jesus or you try to fit yourself in the Bible. And what Jesus tried to tell us is this. From beginning to the end, Genesis to Revelation, everything tells about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But here's the thing, though. It takes a miracle for us to be able to see that. Because Jesus' disciples, you know, this is not the first time Jesus told them about his life, death, and resurrection. So all this time, throughout the three and a half years, Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to die, guys. I'm going to die, guys. But on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. But they kept missing the point. 
Do you know why? Because intelligence alone cannot help you see the glory of Christ in the Bible. It takes the supernatural work of God. And the way that we encounter the supernatural work of God is not we walk away from the Bible, or no. Jesus said the way that we experience the supernatural work of God is you need to read the Bible correctly. And that's why Jesus teaches his disciples that everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him. And when they do that, when Jesus has the wonderful, the most glorious Bible study with the disciples, the disciples see Jesus for he is. And the disciples see that the message of the Bible is one. It's about a God who will suffer and die for our sin. And on the third day, he will rise from the dead. And with his resurrection, all of us, we are called to repent of our sin and receive forgiveness in his name. And that is the good news of Easter. Passover. Sorry, Pastor Sam. But let me give you four implications. Let me give you four implications of resurrection. If that is true, if resurrection is true, there are four things that we must embrace. Okay? There's many. I mean, there's tons of application, implication of resurrection, but I just want to zoom in in four. First, the resurrections give us the good news of peace. See, when these disciples finally see the resurrected Christ, you know what happened? They disbelieve for joy. It means what they're witnessing with their eyes are too wonderful for them to believe. Okay, and we do this all the time. Most of you guys know that I'm a big fan of Message United. Okay? I watch all the game. Even if they play at 3 a.m. in the morning and I have to preach at 10 a.m. in the morning, do you know what I will do at 3 a.m. in the morning? I will watch Manchester United play and probably be sleepy during RSI, okay? But let's say it's halftime. I watch the game, and Manchester United is losing 3-0. That's pretty much game over. If you do not know soccer, 3-0 have halftime, that's game over. Most fans will have turned off their TV and go back to bed, but not me. I'm a true fan. I will watch the game to the end. Why? Because every now and then, a miracle will happen. Manchester will win 4-3. And you know what I will say to Josh and Edric when I meet them? Dude, I can't believe it. We won. How on earth did we win? You know what happened? I disbelieve for joy. I mean, I can't believe it, but at the same time, I do believe it because it happened. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a miracle. It's unbelievably good news. It's too good to be true, and yet it is true. And my friend, that's the kind of news the gospel is because the gospel is the unbelievably good news of peace. Peace with whom? Peace with God. See, we who were once the enemies of God because of our sin are now reconciled with God to the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, at the cross of Jesus Christ, all the punishment of sin that should belong to us is put on Jesus so that everyone who put their trust in Jesus do not experience that but eternal life. Jesus took the wrath of God and paid the penalty of sin in full so that you and I can receive total forgiveness of sin. And all we have to do, all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. That's it. You can be made right with God today. And if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, I implore you today, there's no better day than today to finally say, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. And the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, let me tell you what happened. You are forgiven of all your sin. 
It does not matter how bad, how messed up your past was. In one act of faith, Jesus said, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are holy. You are righteous. And you can have the confidence that you are forgiven. Do you know why? Because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jesus' resurrection tells us that his mission was accomplished. Once and for all, he died. He finished it. And that's why he yelled out at the cross. You know it. It is finished. To tell us that all that required for the debt of sin to be paid is done. All you have to do is receive it. You can stand right before God, not because you do good deed, but because you believe in the only one who is good. Your rightful standing before God has nothing to do whether you come to church today or not. Your rightful standing in front of God has everything to do with the one who died for you and loved you to the cross. The gospel is the good news of peace. Put your faith in Jesus. But here's the second one, and here's where I want to spend most of my time in. Because if you believe that, the resurrection frees us to live for the coming world. Now, this is very crucial. Because if we believe in the resurrection of Christ, then it means that this world is not all there is to it. One day, you and I, we will have a new glorified body and we will live on a new earth. Because if you believe in the resurrection, it means that there's a life after death. And that changes everything about us today. Okay, let me give you an example. How many of you love the cartoon Lion King? Anyone? That's my favorite Disney, okay? And Little Mermaid. Okay, don't ask me why I love Little Mermaid. Lion King is my absolute number one favorite. Okay, now if you, if you watch Lion King, then you know Lion King has wicked, absolutely awesome soundtrack. Brilliant. And one of the most popular songs is called what? The Circle of Life. Okay, I'm not going to sing it for you. Okay, you know it. But this is what happened, okay? This is the idea. This is the idea uh, on the song Circle of Life. So basically they say when we die, we become part of the circle of life. Because Why? We become fertilizers to the soil that enable the plants to grow. Then the animals eat the plants and the people eat the animals. And when the people die, they become part of the soil. So when we die, we become part of the circle of life. You with me on that? I mean, the song is very catchy, but it's very bad. Because if we believe in the resurrection of Christ, the, this life is not all there is to it. There's something better than becoming part of this circle of life. Jesus' resurrection tells us that we have a brand new body to look forward to. And not only a brand new body, but we have a new earth to look forward to. It does not mean that I mean, God will get rid of this old earth and then create a brand new earth. Oh, it does not. He will renew it. It means everything we love about this current earth, it will be there, but even better. If today you and I see in standard definition, one day in the new earth, you will see in 4K. If today you love KFC, no need to worry. Heaven will have a glorified, cholesterol-free KFC for free. How great is that? My point is, heaven, next life, is not boring. The next life is not the place where you play the harp in clouds with eternal choir singing in the background. Hallelujah. No. Our next life is everything we love about today, but so much better. Okay, let me put it this way. 
imagine if you were born blind. Okay, try to imagine. I know it's impossible. All of us can see. But imagine if you were born blind, and suddenly there's a new technology that enables you to have sight. Now, before the surgeries, people will try to tell you what color is like, what light is like. You try to imagine it, but you cannot. Because you have no concept of color. You have no concept of light. No matter how hard you try, you see nothing but darkness. But then, you have the surgery. Do you know what happened the moment you open your eyes after the surgery? Let me tell you what happened. You weep. Why? Because the reality is far, far more glorious than what you can imagine. And my friend, that is what God has in stock for you and I. And that is the picture of our next life. That's why we believe that. That means this, there's no need to fear of missing out. Get rid of FOMO. Because you do not live only once. Get rid of YOLO. Get rid of your bucket list. You do not need it. So what if you never visit the land of the Opa? You have one in front of you right now. Okay, that is not true. I don't know why people call me Opa, but I do not like Opa, okay? I am a proud Indonesian. But even if you do not get to the land of the Opa, you, in the eternity, you will have the chance to visit the new and glorified Korea with the glorified Opa. Okay, that's the kind of thing that Jesus has in mind for us, okay? It's so much better than what you and I can imagine. I mean, do you realize how freeing this is? It's mean that you and I will never miss out on anything. Like, let me give you another example, right? Uh, if you do not know, I, I just graduated on Monday, right? Okay, finally, I have finished my study. I'm 23 years old and ready to live my life. And because of it, because I just graduated... I receive a lot of warm wishes from people. And I appreciated all those warm wishes. But in those wishes, there's one question that continued to pop up. The question was this, what's next? And let me tell you, I know exactly what the question meant. They're not asking, are you gonna do PhD next or no? The question, what's next, imply when will I get married? Okay, the first couple of times, it was funny. I laughed, ha, 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 ha. But after receiving that question for so many times, it's not funny anymore, okay? I even try, okay? You can't win with Indonesian, right? I even try, oh, PhD, and they said, oh, that's nice, pasangan hidup dong. Like, you just cannot win with Indonesian, right? They just have way with words that's impossible to defeat. So, fine, whatever it is. But here's the thing, that's not my point. Sorry if you don't speak Bahasa. Basically, ask someone after the service. So what I'm trying to communicate is this. If we believe in the resurrection, it does not really matter what's next. It doesn't. I mean, so, okay, I'm going to say it very, very, very carefully. If I believe in the resurrection, if we believe in the resurrection, we might be single for the rest of our life. Or we might have terrible marriage. But we're not depressed. Because you and I know one day we will be married to Christ. I mean, so what if you have an accident and you lose your leg? You will not be despair. Because one day you will be dancing. 
And that's the promise of resurrection. So there's a new body that's waiting for us, and there's a new earth that's waiting for us. And we're not going to miss on anything in this life. We're not going to miss out on anything. We will have eternity to enjoy the new earth in a new resurrection body. But that's not the end. There's more. The resurrection also tells us that God is going to renew this broken earth. Christian salvation is not us leaving this broken world and going to heaven. No. Christian salvation is heaven coming down to this world and restored. What does it mean? It's meant today, if you're Christian, you and I are agents of renewal. One, one time, Martin Luther was asked this question. Luther, what would you do today if you know Jesus is coming tomorrow? You know what Luther said? He said, I will plant a tree. Hold on a second. Jesus is coming tomorrow and today you're going to plant a tree? What do you mean, Luther? Let me explain to you what he meant. Luther was saying that the coming of Jesus is not the end of the world. The coming of Jesus is the renewal of the world. So think about what's going to happen to that tree that, that Luther planted. Okay, Think about it. The tree is going to blossom. And Psalm 96 tells us when Jesus returns, the tree is going to dance. The tree is going to sing. And that is the reality that we're going to see. It's mean that this, if we believe in the resurrection of Christ, there's nothing we do today that is mundane. None. Everything that we do matters. So every good work we have will have eternal effect. So when you and I try to get involved in the problem of injustice, when we try to restore our society, we have hope because one day, Jesus, God is going to complete the imperfect work that we started. So that means when we live our life today, first, we're not going to miss out on anything, but we do not live with an escapist mentality. Oh no, we engage with the world. We are the agents of renewal. We are playing our part in God's renewal process because we believe in the new earth. God will complete that work. So you have become very active, very, very engaged to the culture. And the third thing is this, the third implication. The resurrections make us witnesses of the gospel. If you understand the resurrection, you cannot simply be recipients of the gospel because those who have received the gospel of Jesus also receive the mission of Jesus. You can't separate the two. We are witnesses of Jesus' resurrection and we are to carry the message of the gospel wherever we go. Because the message of resurrection is not simply the message of forgiveness of sin, and that's true, but it's also declaration that Jesus made that it's time for the worldwide spreading of the gospel. And you and I are called to be witnesses of the gospel wherever we go. And listen, and this has to be the main priority of our life. Why? Think about it. If we have the new earth and heaven to look forward to, and we have a new body in the future to look forward to, you and I are not going to miss out on anything today. You and I can get, get rid of our bucket list. But there's one thing that we cannot do in the new heaven and earth. You and I will no longer have the chance to witness, to share the gospel. Because everybody in the new heaven and earth, they love Jesus. They know Jesus. 
So that's why our priority today got to be include, expect, and invite as many people as possible to enjoy that new life with us. And that is what we are called to do, my friend. In the new earth, everybody will love Jesus. Therefore, our priority today has to be about bringing people to that world. We only have this life to do it. You and I have eternity to enjoy Grand Canyon, America, Japan, Korea, to eat whatever you want. But we only have this lifetime to share the gospel. Now, let me share you my concern. I'm concerned that most people come to church on Sunday, expect to hear the gospel being preached, but they're not willing to share the gospel where they are on Monday to Saturday. And that's not going to work. Let me tell you why. Praise God for Sunday. The proclamation of the gospel does begin in Jerusalem, so it begins where we are. But that is not the end. Because the preaching of the gospel on Sunday is supposed to catapult you out there. Supposed to make you go out there and preach the gospel in your workplace, in your study, wherever you are from Monday to Saturday. And if we're not careful, what's going to happen is that we can create a church culture where it's all about Sunday. So we focus so much on having incredible praise and worship, singing the right song, and then for me to preach my best sermon. And we expect people to be transformed by listening to me preach. And that is a weak Christian consumer mentality. We think it's the job of pastor to preach the gospel. I mean, do I want to be an excellent preacher of the gospel? Of course I do, okay? Someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, which sermon do you consider as your best sermon? And I answered straight away, my next sermon. See, that's the kind of person I am. So I do want to be excellent in what I do. But if I think that the win is for people to listen to me preach, that's foolish, because the win is not for me to preach the gospel to as many people as possible in this room. The win is for you and I, every disciple of Christ, to go out there and make disciples. That's the win for this church. So if you expect people just to come on Sunday, I mean, that's not a wrong thing. I mean, if you, this for your first time coming to Roxanne on Sunday, let me say, welcome. But that is not our win. Our win is not to gather as many people in here as possible. Our win is to send people as many as possible. You and I are called to be witnesses of the gospel. Jesus' strategy is to preach the gospel to all nations, not to anoint one mega preacher for everyone to listen to. Jesus' strategy has always been making disciple who makes disciple. So that's our strategy as well. Our strategy to proclaim the gospel to the city of Sydney is not Yossi. Oh no, it's us, you, me, all of us. And don't give too much credit for yourself. God does not need you. He can do it on his own. It is his mission. But he graciously invited us to play, to fill the part between this old earth and the new earth. And you've been invited to play together with God. And that is a gracious invitation. The church has no room for spectators. The church is to be filled with witnesses of the gospel. Gospel people are mission people. You can't separate the two. And last, we believe that. Then the last implication is this. The resurrection gives us hope in the present suffering. Let me tell you what I mean. There are three kinds of movies. First, movie with a really bad ending. Second, movie with a good ending. 
Okay, and I'm sure if you're normal, most of you will love movie with good ending. We hate movie with bad ending. But there's a third kind of movie that we love even more. Okay? And the movie goes like this. Bad, bad, bad. Mm, okay. Bad, bad, bad. Whoa. This kind of movie that actually the bad thing that happened in the story actually make the happy ending possible. Okay? Let me give you an example. Avengers Endgame. If you haven't watched it, I'm going to ruin the ending for you. It's not my fault. You have two years to watch it. <laughs> Iron Man died. Sorry, spoiler, if you haven't watched it. That's not a good thing. When Tony Stark died, how many of you shed tears? I shed tears, and I'm a man. That's a sad thing. But you know, it's a joyful thing. We love it. Why? Because the death of Tony Stark actually make the happy ending possible. The bad things make the joy possible. The bad things even make the joy even greater. The death of Iron Man ensures the death of Thanos and the safety of the universe. And we love it. I mean, do you see what happened? See, when the disciple saw the death of Jesus and they thought it was over, the world's done, I'm dead. They thought they were have no hope. They were thought they're going to meet Jesus night and take over the world, but now Jesus died. They saw him being crucified and their world turned upside down. But when Jesus appeared to them, I love it. When Jesus appeared to them, do you know what Jesus did? Verse 40. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. Do you know what they see when they see Jesus' hand and feet? They see the nail pierced hand and feet. Now think about it. It is the very thing that crushed their hope. The, rest, the crucified Jesus, the nail-pierced hand, that's, that, that's what crushed their hope. It is the very thing that made them think that their life is ruined. It is the very thing that brought them despair. But it is the very thing that they thought ruined their life is what saved their life. It's the very thing that brought them despair that led them to disbelief for joy. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not joy in spite of suffering, but joy because of suffering. See, this is what Jesus is trying to teach us. Jesus, in his new resurrection body, he still has the nail spears, hand and feet. Why? Because he wants to tell you and me that his resurrection does not negate the suffering, the pain, the tragedies, the tragedies we experience in life. The resurrection of Jesus will include them, but will redeem them. What Jesus is trying to tell us is this. The bad things we experience in this life right now will only make the future joy even greater. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope in our present suffering that it will turn out for our joy in the future. Let me close with this. So if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it has to change everything about us. It has to change everything about the way we live our life today. It has to change our priority today. But my question for you and me is this. Do we believe in the resurrection of the dead? I hope that even if you struggle to believe, tonight, you wish that it was true. 
even if you struggle to believe the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I hope that you wish that He did. Because your heart longs for it. Your heart wants it. You're made for it. And today, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, there is gracious invitation from Him. Receive Him. He died for you. The gospel is too good to be true. Yes, I know. It leads us to disbelief for joy. Yes, I know. Yet, it is true. So I invite you today, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, make today the day where you say, Lord, I trust you. Put my faith in you. Jesus has paid the price. It is finished. And all you have to do, simply receive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a God who even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, in the midst of our doubt, rather than backing away from us, Lord, you come to us. You've reached down to us and you express kindness, peace, and grace to us. So I pray for my, fr- my friends in this place, Lord. I don't know what kind of struggle they're dealing with right now. Maybe they find it hard to believe the fact that you are, you said you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you open their eyes to see your glory, to see the beauty of the cross that is available for them, that you paid the price. It is finished at the cross. And all they have to do is trust you. And for us, Lord, the Christian is, I pray, Lord, as we understand the message of resurrection, I pray that it changes how we live our life today. I pray that it changes our priority in life. I pray that it changes what really matters for us in this life. I pray that we live our life in such a way that knowing that we live, we do not live for this world, but we look forward to the coming world. So right now in this world, we spend our life for what really matters, and that is to be the witnesses of the gospel wherever we are. And I pray it does not make us become passive, but become an active agent of renewal, believing, Lord, that you will perfect what we started. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we